podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Boom, we're on. And today's guest, we've got Stephen Gillen. How are you, brother? Now, I James. Nice to see you today. First of all, mate, I just want to say thanks for bringing me down to your lovely home in Windsor. Um, you've got a very interesting story. A man who spent 17 years in prison, category prisoner, surrounded by a lot of the heaviest people in the world, basically, in this prison, to a man who's winning peace prizes, to a man who's travelling the world in private planes. It's amazing what you've achieved from, it's like a rags to riches kind of story and it's an unbelievable story. We've been speaking quite a lot the last few hours, well, the last few weeks, but today we've got more in depth, obviously, your story because it's a story that needs to be told. Um, how are you? I'm good, James. I'm really good. You know, I'm a very grateful person. I'm very, very aware of keeping myself focused on the real, on the real things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was wonderful to see you, really. You know, we've had a good chat and we've talked. You know, you're a, you're a, you're a great guy. You know, you're doing some great work. So, yeah, Thank I'm you. very happy to be here so we can Excellent. talk, you know. Yeah. So, always go back to the start, Stephen. Kinds of where you grew up and how it all began. Right, okay, yeah. Um, I, was, I was born in this country in 1971. And um, when I was about... 10 months old, I bought, I bought a born baby. Um, I was taken back to Belfast, uh, west, west, west Belfast. My, my family come from there and um, I was taken back there and um, my mother left, left me in Belfast with uncles and aunts. Um, she, she come to this country, you know, to try and make a life so she could kind of take me back. You know, but I was left there with aunts and uncles at that time. Um, you know, I was very young. Uh, in them days, it was it was a civil war. You know, you know the IRA and the loyalists and um, uh, 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 the British Army was really going at it in them days. That was uh, that was the environment. It was, you know, it was checkpoints. It was guns. It was riots. It was all of that stuff. You know, the truth is there was a lot of hatred there, you know, that goes back from the history, obviously. But the people was the salt of the earth. Mm. You know, they really yeah. were the salt of the earth. So I um, I grew up there and um, for, uh, for a young child, you don't know any different. You know, your reality is this is all you know, so this is normal. You know, bombs going off, you know, these riots, um having to watch what you say, not, you know, I can remember when I was young in them days, James, I used to point because you'd see soldiers would just turn up, they'd jump out, you know, with all the guns and all that. And, you know, they'd be in and out of doorways and there'd be all that stuff going off and they'd be cordoning in roads off. And, you know, you used to point, you know, I used to get a clip for that and just say, look, you know, don't, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't point because I think you've got a gun. So, you know, there was stuff like that. And, it always kind of was aware that there was something in the air or you had to be mindful, you had to be careful. I remember that even as a child because mm-hmm. of the stuff around me. Um, and um, I have a film coming out, coming out in my life, you know, which, which is, which is um, in production. You know, it's in the script mm-hmm. stage now, but there's a lot of talking to, mm. 
some very influential people behind the scenes at positioning this. It's called the monkey puzzle tree. Mm. I'll try and say as much as I can about it, James. Yeah, yeah. You know? yeah we don't um, obviously want to give too much away, but you've been showing me emails and stuff, and it's some pretty big names who are involved in this. It's going to be massive. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. As you said, it's a story that should be told. Mm-hmm. You know, and for me, I mean, I'm sure anyone who has gone gone through this journey it's 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 strange when people are talking about you and this stuff being written about you and there's you know all of this stuff it's like it's in the third person <coughs> but you know it's kind of a journey at start it's really really uncomfortable so mm-hmm. there's a kind of but after a while you get to see what the real purpose is and that enables you to go further with it, you know, and realise a bigger picture of, you know, you know, it's yeah. about inspiring mm-hmm. people. It's about the truth. Yeah. It's about the real yeah. truth of a life, you know, and yeah, you know, the bad choices, but ultimately it's about how my transformation mm-hmm. from what was yeah. nothing, you know, a war zone was the start of it, James, that went on high security prisons and all that. We'll mm-hmm. cover that too. To, to where I am today. So it's about how I overcome mm. that and the learnings from that. Really. Yeah, because we were talking to the scriptwriter just before we started this and <coughs> when you tell answer. your story, he because he tells it, he thinks, not that it's fiction, but because there's so much shit involved in it that it's kind of hard for people to believe how does that make you feel that, because we ain't, we're, we're not even started yet, we're not even touched base at your story, but from the man, and like I said before, the rags to riches from the war zone to the, the A-category prisoner to travelling the world in private planes, meeting politicians, meeting the biggest franchises in the world to get your film put on place. It's total night and day from your life. So the monkey puzzle tree, this is what the film's called. The monkey puzzle tree. We'll, go, we'll touch right on this then. Where does that name come from? The monkey puzzle tree... When I was a young kid in Belfast, you know, imagine it. Them little, you know, you know, imagine a young kid who was put in the basin or the sink and was rubbed down with a, with a bit of a flannel, James, right? You know, in them days. Bit of a back garden at the back, you know, Belfast, you know, all that real... Civil War outside the door. In the back, I had a little kind of oasis where the coal bunker was. It was coal in them days as well, right? You know, and there was a monkey puzzle tree in there. Now, the monkey puzzle tree, it goes through the film in, you know, a lot of ways, which I can't really go into. I have to temper it a little bit. But that was the start of where the monkey puzzle tree come from. I can't give too much, of, you mm-hmm. know, away, but it, it's very central to the story. As I go through all the the real emotive, really um, troubling stuff as a human being on my own personal journey of discovery. I mean, I didn't only go to prison, I was sectioned. So I kind of, you know, I lost it. Oh, you know, there's a lot of stuff, you know, I beat addiction, all this stuff as we mm-hmm. go through. But the monkey puzzle tree comes kind of through in this in a way where I go back to my childhood. Yeah. So it's it, it, it's a key part of the story, but I yeah. can't say It must be a big part of your life then as well to, first of all, using it a title as your film, but second of all, going through the wars and the trauma, was that 
like a a comfort thing that tree or was it like something that <sighs> it's do you know what I was told as a kid, for instance, when I used to play out there, because I used to love the tree. If you look at a monkey puzzle tree, it's the strongest, most resilient tree in the fern family. It was called a monkey puzzle tree because this uh, explorer, I think it was, went and looked at the tree and thought that would be a puzzle for a monkey because they wouldn't know where to climb it because it's so spiky. It's so spiky, but it's resilient, but it's flexible. It moves. And, you know, them, them, them trees can live a thousand years, really. They can live to be a thousand years. So as I've gone through my life, people very, very close to me, they've said, you're like that. You know, there are many, many um, analogies that go back, that weave back into this, back into this story, um, James. Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, About the monkey puzzle tree. Mm -hmm. So that's all I can kind of say. (laughs) So growing up in the the war zone, growing up in the tough times, the troubles in Ireland between the loyalists, the IRA, when did you start getting involved in like the violence kind of things? What age? I think you're always there and you're always present with it, you know, because that history is handed down. It's a fact. Mm-hmm. It's in the air. It's, you know, you leave your door in the morning. It's a concern where you go, who you talk to, what you say, who's listening. And, you know, this was the, this was the times there, right? So... You know, I mean, my family, you know, in them days, they always brought up with, they was really decent people. They wasn't, they was really good people. You know, they was bricklayers and they kind of done their thing. And, you know, they wasn't. But I had family who was very close, who was a bit different, <coughs> who was involved in all kinds of stuff. It's just mm. the way it was, you know. <coughs> um, the times, the times, it's when you're kind of born into a certain environment it's very influential um, sometimes in how it forges you and your thinking to, you know, how you look at the world can be very jaded, mm-hmm. whether it's realistic or right or not. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of that kind, as there is in any war zone, James, mm-hmm. really. No wars are pretty, they are yeah, yeah. horrendous, you know, horrendous mm-hmm. things are done, right? And that perpetrates more horrendous things and all the bad stuff. So, you know, it was very yeah. much like that there. But I, you know, I mean, I can remember, this is in the film, you know, probably, right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I can tell you, you know, I mean, I see, you know, people killed there and I see I mm. see a lot of bad stuff there and as everyone else did, you know, and some of it was horrendous and there was no rhyme or reason to it, not for, not for the eyes of a child, which I was mm. then. How did that affect you then? Well, there was a couple of things that happened to me there that really brought home um, the nastier, harder, more brutal side of life, you know, very, very quickly. You know, like I've said, you know, I see some things there. Did that ingrain hate and rage into you? Um, That's a real interesting question. The rage and the hate come after, but in a different way. It didn't actually come there. That was the start of it. You know, there was, you know, you have to think I left there when I was nine. But there was, you know, there was a time, you know, I'll give you an instance once, you know, I was out and there was a, there was riots and they would move from street to street. It could just, just happen like that, right? And, you know, the army would come with their pigs, as they was called then, these armoured cars, and, you know, there'd be snipers, there'd be all the firing positions, you know, all of this stuff, and mm. they'd, 
be the gunshots trading back and forth, coaches on fire, bottles shouting, you know, the whole bit, right? And, you know, I got kind of caught in the, you know, in a riot, you know. You have to remember I was about eight. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, you know, it was frightening for me, terrifying. I got caught in the melee. But what I'd done, I tried to get away from it, you know, and I ended up in these front gardens. You know, like when you was a kid, you'd, you'd have a camp or you'd kind of find yeah. James, you'd find a bit of safety as a kid. You know, so I was tucked into this, you know, and I looked out, but you know, I see, you know, I see one of the one of the rioters, you know, it was probably Republican or something, and you know, and they got shot straight down, you know, hit, you know, hit the floor. Now they looked big to me then, but the truth is, I know they was only young. They can't have been more than twenty one, twenty two at push. But what was the thing for me was, you know, he died uh, calling for his mother. Now that was that was only a little, just a little bit. Of, you know, and I watched him die in the floor. Mm -hmm. That was horrendous for me for a child, you know. I cried my eyes out of that. That was, that was too much for me, right? So stuff like that, you know, that stays yeah. with me. That was... that was it's PTSD as well. That was very big. Yeah. You know, I have to remember, you know, I was eight, yeah. uh, James. So how does that affect you now, speaking about that? Does it bring back a lot of emotion <laughs> for you? That one always does. That was one of the ones, you know. And then you're thinking, you know, I think it was... It was all of it. It was one of them things. But as he died and he's calling for his mother, that was the bit, that was a bit mm -hmm. much for me, you know, and I had to watch that. And don't forget I was a child myself, yeah. you know, and that was, that was the thing of it. But, you know, and then afterwards, you know, about a year later when I was not my aunt, you know, who was my, who was my mother, you know, who was my surrogate mother there, she died. So, you know, it was because of the troubles there, you know, and it was escalating and, all the rest of it still the the uh, the people my uncles you know and all that they thought that it was better that I would go back to England to my mother because I needed a mother's hands mm -hmm. James and plus of all the trouble that was going on they thought it was better so the family arranged it like they did they said right you know he's going back yeah. to England so what age did you come back nine so I was nine when I come back on the boat yeah. you know on the boat with a little case um um, going to an alien place I didn't know wasn't a nice experience you know I was very lost at that point so you come back to London yeah I come back to London I I, you know I was with my mother I she was a person I didn't know I didn't know this person you know I knew she was my mother but I didn't know her I had no connection with her so I was totally you know alien mm. you know it was an alien of course London wasn't Belfast you know in the middle of the 70s when it was really hitting it. How was the difference from coming from a war zone to London where it's obviously busier but more calmer, there's no there's not as much violence that you would see, you're not going to see people being shot or blown up there's not anything, how was you then, did you still have that like, anger and fear from Ireland and bring it back to London? This is where it started really the anger, really James big time this is where it started because I find you know you have to kind of remember what it was like I had a funny accent then so I was only a kid I was different you know you know I was in a rough place anyway it wasn't a war zone but it was still a very fast place where you know you had to be quick on your way I was different did you, you get know, bullied the thing well, not as such as bully, but there was times, mm. you know, there was times that, that, yeah, there would be some of that. So certainly I did have my, I did have my times of being bullied, right? But I would always, my answer to that was always do more and be more. 
doing more and being more and you know and that continued but there was a real anger i started to get an anger then that 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 was where the anger come from and that kind of drove me and um i would always do more which which um exhibited itself in being madder than everyone else crazier than everyone else doing the stuff that no one else would do because i was gamer than everyone uh-huh. else if that and that become a pattern. I mean, I can see uh, that now, James. To get you know? acceptance from others. Uh, yeah, I mean, I realise mm-hmm. now at that point that that was a big part of it. When did things start slipping fast for you? What age? When did the violence and the stuff get out of hand? I kind of... My answer to a lot of stuff at that age was rebelling against everything. I was a really kind of a lot... You know, I had to fend for myself in many ways. I still f- felt very different, you know, all the time. I didn't feel part of, I was apart from. So that was hard for me. I, you know, I'd be very anxious and stuff. So what I would do is, you know what, you know, I'd, I'd have that anger for that. So mm. I would be more, be more, do more, yeah. which was my answer. And of course, this got me into petty crime, you know, really, really quickly. Shoplifting, stealing cars. All sorts of madness, you know, stupid stuff. You know, you'd go out. I'd be the one who would be with the kids who was had nowhere to go and was kind of had to fend for themselves. And then, of course, I'd have to be more than them and do more than them. Mm-hmm. So really, if you looked at it, maybe I was leading it. Yeah. Like half the time, James, mm-hmm. right? So How was your relationship with your mum going through your teens? It was... Uh, very tough, uh, very tough. The truth is, me and my mother, she, you know, she's a wonderful person, but right up until the age when I was well in my 30s, it was like cat and dog. Mm-hmm. That was for many reasons. Yeah. So what age did you first get go to prison? Right, I was so, so bad, you know. I mean, I was a crime wave, even at that age. Now, I can remember what they done is I was meant to go back up again to this call, uh, James, and they said, right, what we're going to do is we're going to put this off until after his 14th birthday because they wanted me to go to prison, you know, detention centre. Yeah. So that was the first spell, was detention centre. At 14? 14. I, uh, I can remember it because it was 10 days after my 14th birthday mm-hmm. and they postponed it so they could... Uh, do the do. Keep you in. Keep me in, yeah. yeah. How was that experience? <laughs> it's like joining an army camp, you know, mm. they call it the sharp, sharp shock in them yeah. days. And it certainly was that. I mean, it was the start of the very much brutality which was to come. You know, I mean, they'd do mad stuff. They'd make us, you know, it's like an army camp, James. Mm-hmm. And everything had to be folded like like an army camp. And yeah. if it was one little bit off, you know, that yeah. was... Slap. You get a slap, yeah, uh, you know, or worse. They'd have you scrubbing a miles, you know, like the M1, I think they call one of these... Mm-hmm. Uh, corridors. Corridors, mm. you know. You'd be scrubbing that with a toothbrush. I mean, this was the type of stuff, mm-hmm. so... See, that shit doesn't... That doesn't change people. That's just going to fill you with more hate and rage. Yeah, where, absolutely. So did you end up meeting people in there at 14 and end up becoming even more rebellious when you came out? I think I was, you know, I was only in there for six weeks, although it would feel like six months, mm-hmm. that's the truth. But 14, that's a long time. Yeah, it's a long time. And um, I think I was very young then. So, But, you know, it's interesting because there was a few people in there, <coughs> excuse me, who 
I would go all the way through the prison system with mm-hmm. who was very quiet, well, would turn out to be notorious mm-hmm. um, criminal villains. Yeah. So even then, we was there. That was the, that was the start of you know of it. And then I come out, you know, when I was fourteen, and you know what they done is they try to put me in homes, you know, not special special homes, you know, where mm-hmm. they. For special people, James, that was... Um, for nutcases. Yeah. <laughs> for nutcases, yeah. You know, and they was quite brutal as well. You know, mm-hmm. they really was. You know, and I was a real fighter by that point. I wasn't, you know, taking no shit from no one, mm-hmm. you know. And there, it was violence, violence, violence. They could try to do with violence and there'd be more violence and... You know, it was a real cycle of it, you know. Yeah. So I'd run away, I'd go back to London, I'd do more crime and they'd bring me back and, mm. you know, and we'd do all that. And then I and then I started going into Borstals, then it was Borstals. So, you know, back Working in Working through the ranks. Yeah, and then, you know, what happened was, I suppose, to put that part of the, part, part of the journey in was I'm, I, I was away with the fairies, I call it now. But, you know, everything's justified, you know. It's like, it's like we said before, James, we wouldn't be where we are now if, we, if it wasn't for where we would have had have been. Yeah. There's a journey here of learning mm-hmm. and of events, of circumstances, of solving problems, of improvement, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's all relevant. It's all relevant. But then I, I look, you know, I went into Borstals, you know, I went to places like Feltham. And this place was very, very violent, you know, because YCs and Borstals, they're very violent. They're even more violent sometimes than prisons when you put certain characters together. Because they're still very young, mm-hmm. but the violence is programmed in there, right? So I was, you know, there'd be a lot of fights. There was a lot. It was very violent, you know, and I used violence all the way through that, you know, and I started a pattern even then really early from the off where I'd be moved out of certain places because of all sorts of stuff. You know, I think that a coping mechanism then where the violence was to get you through, get you by, that you weren't willing to take any shit from anyone, that their loneliness or maybe their abandonment issues where you needed to surround yourself with people the same as you, so you could have like some sort of family, which you've probably never had your life. Obviously, you say the people in Ireland, but you were brought up in a war zone, so it's hard to see love for compassion or it's hard to see any goodness involved in such a crime so when you're doing crime and you're sharing violence was that you're like trying to get a connection because people would like you then people would accept you that you're crazy i want to be your friend so you used to do that kind of shit if you know what i mean that's a good i mean i think it's there are elements of that in there mm-hmm. for sure but I think I think the main element was for most of the time was just survival, James. Mm-hmm. Was these was very violent places, and for me certainly, you know, and this continued all the way through. You know, to where I was category A and level two escorts with armed police and all yeah. that was the more you were seen to be this, the more you'd be left alone in a sense. Mm-hmm. Fear works in them places; yeah. it does. You know, they, you know, they don't go for the person who everyone knows who they say, you know, he knows this one, that one. He's he's liable to do this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, they go for the ones who are not there. The weak it's, links. Yeah, the weak links and stuff like that. This is the way this hierarchy mm-hmm. is in these places. So It's all acting as well. 
it's all fucking acting as well. People, it's, uh, act, it's like, absolutely. He's angry. He's violent. But it's, again, that's an act. That is not natural. That is not natural. So for people, that that becomes a defence mechanism where, yeah, okay, if I'm feeling vulnerable here, what I'll do is hold a gun, hold a knife, but that'll keep you back because I don't want you to hurt me. Where they, they act like that, but the majority of the men who I speak to, you'll tend to see, we're all vulnerable. Absolutely. all vulnerable absolutely so when you started working yourself through the ranks and getting the reputation getting well known in London because I know you know a lot of the boys who I know up and down the UK and you're talking about when you were in the, the category you're mixing it with the biggest boys the toughest the angriest in the UK with the biggest crimes when did you start saying okay I'm getting a reputation here and you started using that to your advantage um, I think I suppose. Look, you know, when it, this this thing earlier on in the Borstal kind of times, James was. It was the anger, and it was a coping mechanism. Because the truth was, I didn't cope too well, James. I mean, that was the mm-hmm. truth. I was horrendous at coping to them to them conditions. You know, so this was how I would deal with it. You know, and I had so much anger and all the rest of it that goes with that that. I'd done that. I mean, I wouldn't advise it to other people. You know, I mean, I would end up in special units, you know, prisons and prisons for the worst, most mm-hmm. disruptive prisons in the country. I really would down to this. But what's, you know, I I could have done it a different way, but that wasn't my way to do it. Yeah, that wasn't your cards either. That's yeah. set out for you. And we spoke earlier that all the shit you've been through yeah. has led you to what you're doing today, which we'll touch on later on. <laughs> So when you ended up in the category of prisons, what was your first big sentence? My first big sentence was 14 years, but it was 17 years because it was 14 years with a three for firearms consecutive. Mm-hmm. So it ended up as 14. I mean, you know, we got uh, 69 years that day, but it was all concurrent at the mm-hmm. Old Bailey. So it was a, a you know, you know, worked up the highest. I mean, I can remember sitting in the old Bailey James, and they're saying all these sentences, you know, firearms with intent, conspiracy to rob, firearms without, uh, you know, I was just listening for the biggest number because I knew <laughs> that would be the one they'd go from, mm-hmm. and that would be it. But then there was three before for a firearm, so they made that consecutive, so that was the sentence. And, mm-hmm. um, that was the big sentence. How was that feeling then, getting? 17 years what was going through your mind <clears throat> that's really weird Jack. do you know why because I can remember clearly in that dock we went not guilty by the way <laughs> yeah. 150 charges against him <laughs> oh it was uh, you know it was really something you've got to try but aren't you you've got I to mean, believe let me paint the scene you know we're talking 25 armed flying squad officers mm-hmm. on a ready eye surveillance photos gunpowder residues because there were shots fired, helicopters, you know, we're really talking. But we went not guilty because we was, that was all we could really do, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest with you. But that was the scene, you know, and, you know, there was a trial and I can remember when they come back guilty, it wasn't unanimous, by the way. Mm-hmm. There was a few people said because we basically said the old bill fitted us up. And there was a, that was the defence. Because, you know, there was a lot of, 
stuff that was moved around in that trial, which mm. wasn't right. Corrupt. But I'll be, it was to an extent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But look, you know, I'm not here to go into the this, that, yeah, or the yeah, other. Yeah. Take my word for it, right? A lot of stuff was moved around and, and all that stuff, James. But, you know, look, you know, I mean, I received a sentence. I was found guilty and I paid for the, you know, I paid for, I paid for the mm-hmm. crimes as they said that I'd done, right? And um, so I can remember when they gave me that sentence and I was standing there, you know, with my Cody and, you know, I watched him and his hand, we were standing up and his hand kind of, there was a bit <laughs> of a shake there, James, yeah. just for a minute, you know, I clocked it, I noticed it. And for me, it was really surreal. It was like I always knew I was going to get it. I was going to get a big sentence, you know how. But it was like I always knew I was going to go through that shit. Don't ask me, but I have to be honest. Mm-hmm. So we come downstairs, and I, you know, I shook my friend's hand, my coder. I said, "Well, that's it then, right?" Matter of factly, like that, which is crazy. I mean, it was going to change after that when we when we got into the real mm. cut and thrust of it, but that's what happened. Who was uh was uh was how many was charged? How many people? There was two, two charged in the end. Was there any deals put in place? Any deals like take this? We'll give you ten years, twelve years. <laughs> no, they just wanted <laughs> you. I'm trying to, uh, yeah, there was, you know, I mean, they always try this, James. Yeah. They come and they try and bar. Mm-hmm. That's fine, it's a game. But they come down, and I'm sure, I'm trying, I think it was, that was it. He come back, you know, and he come, he said, look, I'm Stephen. You know, and he was a, you know, really good brief I had. He was, he was one of the best at that time. He was doing really well. He was getting a lot of big cases and people acquittals. He said, look, I've gone up to see him, Steve. I've had a word with him. And they've said, if we go in there today, we don't do this trial and all that, they're prepared to give you 12 years. I went, they fucking what? <laughs> 12 fucking years? Mm-hmm. I went, I went, you go back and tell them bollocks. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, this was the, this was the exchange. I mm-hmm. thought, 12 fucking years? Did, in your mind, it was a reflex. Yeah. Did you, you know, think James? you were getting away with it? Or did you think they had, you had a chance? I just- was in a bad place, yeah. really. I yeah. mean, I'm not stupid, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, the evidence against me was... Substantial. Substantial, mm-hmm. right? But 12 years is a long time. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I'll go up there and I'll do 12 years, that's a lifetime, right? Or I'll go in there and I'll take my chances. So it was, you know, we... With an extra five on top. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we laugh about this now, but it's horrendous. Yeah. But you know, you asked yeah. me, you know, and it's mm-hmm. just the truth. This was the this was mm-hmm. the exchange, you know, at that so time. So I know you battled your addiction issues as well. Were you bad addictions before prison as well? Cocaine, alcohol, was that prior or after your sentence? The truth is, um I battled addiction for a long time, all the way through. You know, I mean, as you probably Teenage know, years. yeah, addiction rears its ugly mm-hmm. head early in people if it's there. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is innate. It can be or learned or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. But it usually turns up early. There's signs of it. Yeah, yeah. like the behaviours. You know, the mm-hmm. obsession and the you know that stuff. So I battled with that. You know, and that feeling of being different, like they always have it as well, being different mm-hmm. than you know than other people. So a lot of that makes sense that I, you know, I, you know, I had that. I had that yeah. for a long time. They say yeah. there's a more, a bigger percentage of addiction and trauma having 
the same where it's trauma where it will affect addiction than there is to diabetes and overweight and I don't know if it's overweight and diabetes. So one of the two where there's a ninety percent rate where people who have addictions have to tend to see have more trauma in their life. Where it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. Where if you're seeing dead bodies at eight, you don't know how to handle that shit. Then you're getting brought up in the tough streets of London, you're going to Boston, you ain't gonna sit with your co pilot and say I've got. I've seen this. You're just going to bottle it all up. You're going to shove it all down and suppress it. Hmm. Where before you know it, the explosion. Before you know it, you're doing 17 years. Before you know it, your drug abuse is out of hand. And this cycle perpetuates, yeah. doesn't it? Seems, yeah. You know? Do you know what I mean? So it is difficult, and people need to understand as much as we talk about this stuff. There's always a bigger picture for a young innocent boy to be seeing people at 21 screaming for their mum dying. That Absolutely. shit is going to affect you. And it's not that I'm trying try to justify for your wrongdoings but everything has a a bigger picture where you've got to understand wait a minute everybody who I interview no matter their crime no matter what they've done you'll tend to see a lot of them have suffered abuse or bullying or they've seen some sort of trauma when they were kids where they don't know how to handle it they don't know how to speak about it so they show up through emotion and anger It's, it's, it's crazy but I think it all has the trauma and the addiction kind of things it definitely has some sort of pattern to it where it can be difficult listen I've took drugs for many years as well to numb some sort of pain and mask it what kind what age did you start really getting into drugs was it young teenagers um yeah really is the short answer to that yeah. you know so it was the progression of yeah. stuff but I was always someone who got right to it really quickly I, you know I didn't believe in going around the houses when yeah. you could get straight to the heart mm-hmm. of it straight away and you know it was very much like that but that goes with that kind of behaviours yeah. as well you know yeah. this all in mm-hmm. thing James but right? your nine years clean which I'm <coughs> going to shake your hand for nine years clean yeah, yeah which is nine years, unbelievable absolutely. yeah yeah so fair play for that so it shows that you're at, you have got strength to make the changes, to make the sacrifices. So when you were doing, doing your 17, mm. because I know you know Mr. Ferris. Yeah. Dark, dark Blink Tom. McDonald. Um, yeah. Lord, yeah. So people, many. Yeah. People, How was your relationship with Mr. Ferris? How did that come about? <laughs> Paul's lovely. I mean, I get on really <laughs> yeah, well with Paul. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's a right character. Yeah. Of course he is. His dark humour's unbelievable. I, yeah, always. Yeah. Like Paul, do you yeah. know what I mean? Goal with Paul, mm-hmm. we always had good times together. Mm-hmm. When I met Paul, he was in he was in Belmarsh. You know, I was being sent all around the place, you know, because I was a naughty boy. So, they, you know, they would release some prisons having to manage you so they'd keep you moving. So I was um, moved back to Belmarsh which is London, which was a real gift for me because what they'd done to me, I was so bad. I was on the Northern Circuit for five years mm-hmm. going around the... Because they wanted to make it as hard as possible for you because I come from the South, London, mm-hmm. and everything was hardship. My family, my visits, they'd really just try and destroy you, James. They'd try and break you down. I mean, you know, this was the thing. So I, you know, I come back to Belmarsh, which was like getting bail for me. And Paul was there. He was a laundry orderly. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, there was the chaps on the wing where we'd always talk to each other, birds of a feather and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, and of course, you know, Paul was there. He was a K. I was a K. 
so we'd go on the visits together and different stuff and you know that's where yeah. that's where we met me and uh, Mr Ferris yeah no he's some boy man Mr Paul uh, so the 17 years then how did you get through it getting ghosted about and moved jails was that to try and break you was that just because you were such a fucking nuisance or why were they treating you like that um I was definitely a nuisance, you know. I mean, they built they built a unit in uh, Woodhill. It's still there now, like to this today, and it's called the Close Supervision Unit. Now they 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 built this place and they spent fifteen million pound on it, and um, it was to break, you know, the people who disruptive prisoners, the worst of the worst, they would mm-hmm. call it who they just couldn't cope with, who they... So they built this place. I was the seventh one selected in the whole of the UK, you know, to go there. I mean, I was there for two years. And this place is unbelievable. because uh, You have four units in there, but they're only small little places. And you might have six, seven of you on there, usually about five of you on there. And it's like a tier system. On the bottom... You sleep on a concrete plinth, and it's like on an angle. I mean, James, I used to sleep on this little mm. tiny paper-thin mattress, and after an hour, you'd get a dead arm. So you'd have to turn around to the other yeah. arm. You know, the corners of the room was rounded. You know, they'd feed you like a dog. They'd come with a mufti, like mufti on every time they'd open the door. They wouldn't open the door unless they had to. They'd put the phone through the door. You know, you'd get one shower, you know, there'd be 10 of them that'd take you down, you know, and it's full of psychologists. So they'd be, I can tell you a great story about mm-hmm. it, but I'll tell you when I yeah, was in yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, they'd send these psychologists because the thing was, if you was a good boy after three months and you was, then they'd put you up to the next and you'd get a bit more, a bit more freedom until the top one, you could cook a bit of food mm-hmm. and you'd get a few more stuff. But what was happening to the lads in there and the guys was you'd go in there and I went up, down, down, up, 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 down, up, down, down, up. Now this was snakes and ladders. <laughs> Honest to God, right? It was um, it was a weird place. Mm. It's just what it was, James. Then, but that that's not there. That's not going to rehabilitate you. That's just going to make you fucking worse. No. What, who, who was? What kind of people were there? Who were you with? Charlie Bronson was there. Charlie, you know, I went all the way through Charlie. What was Charlie uh, like? Charlie. Charlie is good as gold, you know. I'm in his books. And a funny thing, I meant to be going to see Charlie, right, with the screenwriter, because there's different stuff happening mm-hmm. here. And, um, you know, he mentioned me in all, you know, his books. I'm in them books from them days when we mm-hmm. was going through that stuff. So I went all the way through with Charlie. I like Charlie. He's like that old school. He's very like the old man in the circus. Yeah. But Charlie, Charlie, Charlie is misunderstood in a lot of ways. Mm. I think we all was, you know, yeah. then really. Because so. he did a robbery, now he's still in. He's just, yeah. he's, um, yeah. Because I know uh, I had Vic Dark on as well. I know you know Vic and Vic's really pally with Charlie. He's sent a message, want me to send a message to Charlie for, because they're trying to get him out for um, his release. Um, I'm he should to get be released. Charlie on the show for the podcast because I know he's never been. I think he, he writes a lot of letters. I think he and does. does and, you know, he's a great stuff. artist, yeah. uh, James. Um, and people who spent time with him speak highly of him. But yeah. again, the people who 
are involved with them, we're all high security fucking, there's 10 people taking you for a shit in a shower. There's, um, so you've, for people who speak out and say he's a good guy, people won't understand that. They like won't understand the that. They will go, yeah, well, you're all don't. fucking nuts. You're yeah. getting moved up and downstairs and sleeping in concrete. How did, so mentally then, were you just rebellious against the system? Did you hate the screws? Did you hate the police? Did you hate... Look, the truth is, James, in them days, if you think of the programming and the way I come into the world and through the world, I was really angry. Uh, yeah, I had a... Really, the truth is, my hatred kept me going. I would... It kept me going. Kept your it's life. not a healthy pursuit. I mean, mm. we know that. But for what I was going through, you know, the several levels of hell... It kept me going. Mm -hmm. I would fantasize of it kept me going. Mm -hmm. Do you know, in the worst of times, that's the truth. Yeah. Because it was, you know, horrendous and um you know, I never thought I would get out of them places. I thought I'd be killed or I'd kill someone or something. It was just so violent. Mm -hmm. There was just so much mad stuff going on and you know, so this was just a way. Who else was, was in that unit with you? <sighs> there was uh John John Murray was there from Liverpool, yeah. Uh, Matty Wainwright from um, uh, Manchester, the Noonans was there mm -hmm. from Manchester. Um, uh, there was a few people. Keith Pringle, yeah. The Manchester you know, Society, yeah, 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 the biggest names, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, there was, yeah. you know, someone got killed in that unit as well who was a friend of mine. So the, it, it, it was, um, you know, he was like a hamster, in a experimental, yeah. experiential place yeah. for them. Were you getting drugged or anything? Were you taking medication? Everything was a strategy in there. I mean, I can remember, you know, these uh, psychologists would always come and they'd be writing. So, any, you know, and they made it, you had to go and see them. So I used to feel like a plant, like they were studying a plant when they were going mm -hmm. there. So I thought, okay, I went in there one day and I said to one of them, I said, you know what? I said, a very bad... I wouldn't talk to them. So when I started talking, they was, yeah, yeah. You know, I've had a very bad time. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know what? I said, I was in so much of a depth of despair the other day. She's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. That I thought I'm going to have to end it. Right? She's, you know, she's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I said to myself, um, I took 20 aspirin. I said to her, she went, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, you know, the one thing that I realised, I said then, at that time, she said, yeah, yeah. I said, I've never ever had a headache after that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and she went, <laughs> I know it's mental, mm -hmm. but this was the type of stuff that was yeah. going on, James mm -hmm. in there. And for me, I had to lighten, lighten it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, after that, they left me alone. Mm -hmm. To really. try and make comedy of it, to try and get you through yeah. the tough times. Do you think the therapy there, maybe, did you ever speak about that young boy who died when you were eight? <laughs> Can you remember? Do you know what, James? I was a very... Guarded, closed. Guarded, closed book mm -hmm. because, you know, in them places you're really surrounded by stuff that's not really good for you. Mm -hmm. Do you know? I mean, look, you know, I'll be really honest with you. My experience of, of prison and the prison system, especially for our security prisoners, is they want to break you. They want to control you. Security is paramount. Mm. They're not your friends. They're not, you know, you know, everything is to, you know, I mean, it never, the rehabilitation 
never worked on me. I mean, I have to say this thing. It might be different for other people, but I was released to Category A as well. Mm-hmm. Like you do know that I was released Category yeah. A as a, which is very rare. Yeah, because you've got to do your courses. You're meant to go yeah, all the yeah, way yeah. through and go yeah. A, B, C, D, mm-hmm. and come down. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't have none of this. I'm surprised bits. you still get out then. Well, they had to because I was doing. I was doing a determinate sentence. I wasn't a lifer. And don't forget, as we said earlier, I just missed all this IPP stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had. They didn't want to let me out. I mean, oh, you know, I could tell you stories about that. So, but there you go. So going through your sentence, when did you start realizing that you were getting out? Did you just get a letter through the door and get get your date to say right, you're free, or? <sighs> Did you go to any open prisons? Or you couldn't have if no, you were a category. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. no, I didn't do none of that. I was, I was, you know, I went around all all the dispersals. Um, you know, I spent most of it in units. I was in home unit, um, um, uh, Woodhill unit, you know, uh, Leicester unit. Even there was times there, you know, you know, mm. there, um, all sorts of units, you know, and I. Um, you know, special units for disruptive prisoners. If I wasn't doing that, I was, I was, I was in segregation. I've done years of segregation, so I kind of uh, towards, uh, you know, I've done about five years of all of that, six years. So it was only at the other end of the sentence that I went into the normal kind of population, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. prison. What was your? Did you have any any goals or anything planned for when you were coming out, or was it just straight back into crime or? Did you have any visions for yourself? We do. I mean, the truth is, James, that then it's uh, a long-term sentence, mm-hmm. you know, a long-term sentence like that. I mean, they say five years and over is a long-term sentence, LTP. right? Yeah, yeah. Is uh, It can take years to hit you, you know, literally. I mean, you know, it took me about three, four years into that sentence, until until the normality of of what I was in and what I had to do really really hit me. It's the same at the other end when you're coming out. Don't forget, I didn't have I didn't come down in the categories. Uh, you know, I was category A all the way through. Uh-huh. You know, with the book and the you know the observation, the whole uh-huh. bit. So you know, when I come out into society, you know, and they followed me from the gate, you know, you know, I, you know, there was police surveillance from the gate when I come out of Belmarsh Prison mm-hmm. from that sentence. Um, it, it, you know, it, you're uh, institutionalised, James. Mm-hmm. So it can take you a couple of years to get, you know, to get yeah, back to normal. This is yeah. a reality. A lot uh, of people don't James. even survive that. A lot of people, that <laughs> is why they go straight back in because they're so institutionalised from being in a cold floor to being kept in a cage for oh. 20 years then to get through out there without any training, without any come down your categories, it's going to be tough. And that's where people tend to see they'll go back inside. It's not the fact that they want to go back, but it's the fact that they can't handle Absolutely. the normality. They're so institutionalised. That becomes the norm where being caged up becomes normal for them. So what when you came out then, how was your life then? What kind of stuff were you involved in? Um... <clears throat> see, I tell the truth. You know, I'm just going yeah. to just say it as it as it is, James. You know me, and um, for for the viewers, this is a real James, uh, gems of it. It's not about dressing this stuff up or yeah. putting a spin on it or saying it was something that it wasn't. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this was the thing. So you, you are right. This is one of the problems is, you know, especially for long-term prisoners is they get institutionalized and to integrate back into to society, no one wants to believe in them. No one wants to help them. No one wants to give them a chance. Everyone judges them. You know, and for any of us, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a process to being successful, mm-hmm. James. But first, for people like that, they have to find their feet and learn how to live normally before they can. So this is why, you know, and they go back, you know, a lot of people go back to where they come from before. So they go back to the same problems. I'd done this then, you know, I went back to Bethnal Green and it was, it was crazy, James, because it was like going through one door into another. I had, you know, I had done 11 years and nine months. I'd done out of that, nearly 12 years, all of it on the book, mm-hmm. just gone, right, of that. And then it was like I come straight out and it was straight back into all the madness again, really, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Yeah, so how long were you involved then? Were you still were you back on the Charlie? Were you still taking the coke? Were you partying? Were you... How did it... When did you still spiral? Were you still have that anger? Obviously, there comes a point where you go, there's a catalyst. I know we spoke at driving up, but we'll touch on all the amazing stuff that you're doing now, but did you, how rough was your life when you came out? After over the 10 years? I had um, one, wonderful people around me. I mean, even then I was privileged to, you know, I was married then and, you know, come, I was still married, you know. My people, they, you know, they visited me everywhere. Stuck by you? Uh, 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 clockwork, you mm. know. And, you know, I had a really ingrained, you know, East End family and people who was around me right and that's so, rare because people forget themselves and absolutely left absolutely but i had that you know i had that so i went mm-hmm. back i had a really protective framework i you know, wasn't on the streets or anything you know we had <coughs> things you know roof over our head stuff like that mm-hmm. but that was it that was it that was it you know which was enough but but you know you you have to build a life mm-hmm. which is you know which is very very hard and um it was crazy. It was very serious, James, with still, with the people I was around and the stuff mm-hmm. that was going on. To be honest with you, at that point, yeah. you know, with different stuff. How long did that go on for? That went on for two years, just under two mm-hmm. years, and then I, um, you know, I got arrested again with a with a with a with a firearm. Me and my brother, me and my younger brother, was was arrested, you know, with a firearm, and you know they come on us, and I was arrested with a firearm, mm-hmm. and so. What did you get for that? Five years. You're lucky you never get life. Well, you know, you know, it was a very serious kind of time around that time, which I won't go into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for someone like me, with all the stuff that was going on, to be arrested with mm-hmm. a firearm there after what I'd been through, mm-hmm. all that before was very serious. I mean, they, yeah. you know, they'd give you a lot of bird for that, just for that. I mean, I got five. They were talking seven just for yeah. the possession. So what were you thinking then that you were out a couple of years? Were you just thinking... That was your life in and out of prison all the time. Were you just thinking, this is the just that maybe accept that this is a shit, the, the, the circle that was always got the just going round that prison system in and out, violence, guns. What was the time? What was that turning point for you? What was that moment where you says, fuck this, enough's enough, I've got more to give? Everyone asks this question, James, mm-hmm. you know, and it'd be great if we had this epiphany, right? Mm-hmm. This. 
we go to bed in the in the night and we wake up in the morning and that is it should be like that mm-hmm. you know but real life and the programming of certain things does not is not like that the truth is that look i wanted out of that life for a long time that's the real truth you know and um <clears throat> but we i was so trapped with people places and things and the environment with prison and all the rest of it, big sentences and all that, that there was no, you know, there was no way out. You know, there was no way out. So you revert to type in a way, even though that isn't. But, you know, if you're looking for a kind of a, you know, epiphany, it was, um, you know, after, you know, I'd done that sentence, that five years. I mean, we was... I was put on ID praise for armed robberies and stuff like that. I didn't get picked out. My brother did, you know, you know, my younger brother did. He had a trial where he was found not guilty, you know. So that was that. So that you know, the firearm was just the start of it. That was that was the holding charge, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, that was it. But um I got five years. I was back on the book again straight away as soon as they so and then I went through that, and but I've done that sense different, James. You know, because we get a bit older, mm-hmm. you know, and we start to, you know, think, you know, valuing your team. Yeah, I need to, you know, this is crazy madness. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to work out a better way of of sorting things out here, of what because this is the worst possible thing that could have happened. Mm-hmm. You know, after another big sense. So I come out, but the thing was, what they said to me is, is I, you know, I had to go to a rehab. They said when I come out after that sentence, that was part of the part of the thing. Were you taking gear inside the jail? Bits and pieces mm-hmm. then. And then you came out. How long did it take you to go to rehab? They put me straight into one. This was the thing. So they put me straight into this place, but um, I went in there, uh, James. You know, and that was. It was um, an eye-opener. It was very, very profound. And, mm. you know, you know, because I went in there thinking, you know, I mean, how are you going to kill me, really? I mean, I get the drugs thing, my head was telling me. Mm-hmm. But all the criminality and everything, I mean, how are you going to, I mean, you know, how are yeah. you going to cure that? Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, when the veil comes down, James, you know yourself, it's very linked to a lot of stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it's about timing in people's lives, yeah. right? And so That's the beauty of life, though. <sighs> it's scary. That's the beauty of life, no matter the background, no matter the age, no matter the crimes, no matter what you're addicted to, the beauty of life is people can change. And I will say that as many times as I can for people to register in their mind. I don't care how dark your life is. I don't care what you've been through. Mm. I had a man on my podcast last week, Stephen Smith. He released a book called The Boy in the Cellar. Stephen was kept in his basement for 13 years. Mum and dad brutalised him, nearly killed him, got took to Aston Hall where they were abusing kids, killing kids. This man... Has is a does amazing artwork. He's on his own band. The strength for this man is unbelievable. So no matter the past, the pain, the destruction of your fucking mental thoughts, you can change that. You can rewire the brain. You can better your life, and that's the beauty of yourself. You have got to thank every single fucking bit of madness you've done in your life to this day, to to then, to this day, because the things that you're doing now is unbelievable. And this is the stuff that we'll touch on now to show you that no matter how destructive you were, mm. that was a defence mechanism, that was a coping mechanism. And people, 
even get into rehab, we'll justify it, we'll try and create excuses because we're scared. Mm. We're scared to admit I need help. And once you start admitting you need help, and once you actually start feeling better, it's such an amazing feeling to not have these fucking demons in here. We'll still have them, but we don't we don't use them with anger, addictions. We use them in a more, we channel that energy in a more positive way to creating, building a show, making films, traveling the world, mm. make, getting peace prizes and it's unbelievable what you can do with channeling your energy in a different way and for getting into the rehab it's scary for you because you become vulnerable you become sensitive you start growing a conscience that all the shit that you have done which is heartbreaking but things go on man time goes on so when you were going through that time and the change from rehab how fast did it how fast did life start getting better for you well, let me just say, James, that, look, you know, what you just said there is spot on, you know, and I master this a lot now. I mean, I, you know, I talk, you know, I, on my journey when I went further along, you know, I, I was a, a very successful business coach. I still do it sometimes, but very exclusive clients, CEOs and, you know, founders of companies, you know, we, uh, I sit on the board now of global companies, you know, I'm a shareholder, I have my own businesses and, you know, stuff like this. But look, you know, what I'm saying is, is that absolutely people can change. You can be whatever, whatever you want to be. There are formulas and there are processes and things mm -hmm. you must do to become the person that you would want to be in this life. But absolutely, you know, I, I am li living proof of that. And look, you know, the reason, I'll just say it how it is, James, I'm always guided by the right thing. And the reason, you know, I, I there are many interviews out there about me and uh, TV, radio, the whole lot, you know, and the, there's loads of content. But, you know, I never glorify this stuff, but I always tell the truth because this is where the jewels are because we want to empower other people and to, 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 to show them the truth so it may enable them to be better. You know, you know, mm. you know maybe not have such a, such a painful life unnecessarily when mm. there are other ways to do it. Mm. Life is painful. It is it painful. Is. It's meant yeah, to be, James. Yeah. It's meant to be. No matter this how is the thing. successful you become, no matter who you're sitting next to or what, life is still painful. There are it's rivers to cross yeah. and mountains yeah. to climb. Yeah. This never finishes. Mm -hmm. Look, you know, we had some really good chats, didn't we, yeah. coming down, you know, and mm -hmm. I got you there in the car. And it's, look, this is the misconception of a lot of people. Oh, this happened to poor Johnny. Yeah, it's really a thing that that happened. But there's a purpose here. And the push and pull is mm -hmm. to enable us to grow. You know, and some of the lessons, I mean, certainly for me, you know, the more painful lessons are... are more greater rewards. Are, are the greater, you know. And one of the things that I can definitely say is what I've become really good at, one of my things, is my aptitude. Is now I've really worked it out and I know it's not about making mistakes. It's not that you make an error of judgment. It's that you're wise enough to have the acceptance to to come from every angle and the right angles, look at the truth, but be humble enough to take it apart in the right way and then learn. Learn why that wasn't so good and how that could be done better and then action it straight away. Mm -hmm. Successful people do this. Mm -hmm. And guess what happens? You don't go back to repeat that. Yeah. You will not go, try it. You will not go back to repeat that. This is the problem. We're back in the old days... I'll be sent back to repeat things 20 times because I wasn't getting it. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of different reasons for that, but yeah. this is important, yeah, James. That's why I say that. Yeah, there's a lot of tools and techniques. This is important techniques. content. Yeah. So 
when you started going through your transition, when you started really working on yourself, you started getting that belief, and that's crucial in anything is belief. Believe in yourself that things can change, things can happen. How did you start <coughs> building on that then? How did you start getting those doors open for you and having politicians and having the biggest companies wanting to represent you? How, because let's face it, your, your past is it's a, a red flag for anybody, especially people in high profile who wouldn't want that connection, no matter if you're a changed man. People are still scared to work with me back in Glasgow or Scotland because yeah. of some of the connections that I've had, some of the articles that have been wrote about me. Absolutely. So yeah. they're scared, but all I do is keep creating where it comes a point where, man, he, he's changed, he's doing great things. And then, so, but for you who's had it on a higher scale, it must be scary for people to have took that risk with you at the start but then the rewards have it's shown that you're a risk worth taking that's a really good question you know and I really try and give the best value always I'm, I'm just always like this so I'm a very committed person and I you know I like things simple you know but but you have to conquer yourself first, um, James. It's a really, really easy answer. I mean, it starts the middle bit and ends with us. There's no, there's no other way. Pointing fingers, the victim, poor me. This is not what this is about. And, you know, you know, and I always realise as well. You know, and I still use this. I, yeah, you know, we go through the complexity to get to the simplicity. But really, I need things simple. You know, it's it's little stuff like this, like, look, you know, I know that a, a fair attitude will get us fair results. I know a brilliant attitude will get us brilliant results. And a poor attitude poor gets results. poor results. This is keeping it simple. Now, of course, there's a lot of learning behind that, but this is, you know, how I do it. Because it's, it's how it is, you know, and I've learned as a student of life and the, the really hard experiences I've had to be through to get them answers that they never, you know, they're never, they, they're never wrong. They always reveal themselves, but I keep it short. It's like, I kind of, the story is, it's a look. This is good as well, because it's about, you know, showing people that no matter how far you think you might be in a hole or how bad things are there's always a way forward there's a way back but there's a way mm -hmm. forward I mean there was a point you know in rehab you know I'm sure you know anyone who's been through that stuff unfortunately would realise it that all I could do was say guess what what I need to do in my thinking is the complete opposite of what I'm doing mm -hmm. because what I'm doing is not working and it's not right so guess what every when it tells me to talk I'll be quiet when it says be quiet, I'm going to talk. Yeah. It's really as simple as that, mm. James. And that's all I've done. I've done the opposite of everything that my programming... Mm -hmm. There was a point that that was all I could do. I was in a bad way. I mean, I was really a deaf story at one point with many things with the life that I was living. Right? Mm -hmm. But that's the start of something. It's the start of hope. It's the start of finding your way back to yourself. Mm -hmm. And then it's it was one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. But I kept going forward. You see, this is another thing because people think if they stop, they go forward and they stop, they think that's okay, but they're not. They're actually going backwards. Yeah. Even if you're taking baby steps, always keep coming forward yeah. in the right direction. Mm -hmm no matter how hard that is because yeah. that becomes a momentum mm -hmm. James that's why people say become a shark because if a shark goes backwards it dies 
Do you know what I mean? Keep, go, keep going forward. Even if it's inch by inch, you must keep pushing forward. No matter how dark it gets, my demons and problems are still there. I yeah. just handle them better. I don't shy away from it by... Because I can still have my moments two or three days, stay in the house, not be quite lazy. But I don't make it last three months, six months, a year. I'm back up. I'm hustling again. Me and Nick, London, up at five, down to London yourself. I'm not. I've got to keep focused because if you think you've made that, the two steps back you've just took. You must keep pushing forward. You must keep progressing. I know we spoke earlier. You get quite emotional when you spoke about this, the peace prize, which is first of all phenomenal that you've won this. So let's talk about this. How did you get this? Right. Well, I um. So you know, I went forward. I kind of ambassador for peace. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm involved in quite a lot of humanitarian, philanthropic stuff now, you know, and I work with, you know, I work with, um, I work with the UPF, which is a Universal uh, Peace Federation. They're tightly aligned to the UN, United Nations. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a, you know, a talk there, which is a national... I'm doing a national tour at the moment. We're doing a city a city uh, month with Carl Mahay, mm-hmm. who was an ex-gold police commander. He was the highest-ranking Asian Asian officer in this country at one time. Mm-hmm. So me and him. So you know, I, you know, and he faced a lot of stuff. You know, in the police yeah. force, racism and bullying mm-hmm. and stuff. But you know, he wanted to make things better as well. And this is what Two Extremes is about. If I can just is that. Two people who are, you know, the same age, give or take, who are born in kind of different places but go different ways, who are absolutely at the opposite end of the spectrum, as far away Mm -hmm. that you could be. Me as a career criminal, target criminal, and him rising all the way up to 32 years in the police force, right the way through up to superintendent, Mm -hmm. boardroom level... Two people who would have, you couldn't have been further apart, although they're in the same arena, um, who both had an internal journey of discovery, you know, and had a metamorphosis. I mean, Carl, you know, he, he went through all that stuff and the police, what he'd done. You know, but his thing is he wanted to do better. He wanted to change more lives. And, of course, there was things in the police. He thought he could do better outside it, so he left. Mm-hmm. He now goes back and teaches senior police officers in leadership. Mm-hmm. So he goes back and he teaches them now. Mm-hmm. And even then they laughed at him. Why are you doing that? Well, yeah, that's stupid. That don't... So you see, there's yeah. more to this. So he went his way. And, of course, you know, I had, I went my way. When we met at an event, you know, we hadn't met each other in our times that we was involved in that st- in the past life kind of mm-hmm. stuff, you know, obviously. But, um, you know, he was a leadership coach and I was a public speaker then and I was growing my business and stuff like that. And we kind of went through this journey kind of together. But now, um, which shows that, look, you know, when we met at that time, there was actually no judgment, James. Mm-hmm. There was a couple of little things. It's a bit cagey. Yeah, it's understandable. But we were still there. Yeah. And we're still doing what we're doing. The proof's in the pudding. Mm-hmm. If we was had it been, you see, because the metamorphosis with me is is you know it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's yeah. a real thing. You actually have to you know have to change. I can remember when I walked into rehab. 
they said to me, Steve, you only need to change one thing. I remember, I said, what's that? He said, everything. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so here we are. So here we are. So the things that you're doing with your life now, Steve, mm. um, you're doing big things. You're big in the media stuff as well. Um, so what's life like now then for you? I um, I work very hard. Um, I um, I am privileged enough to have wonderful, wonderful people in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're very supportive. They're very talented. They actually see me, James. Do you know they see me? Mm-hmm. Not what people would have written or what they think or the spin they're going to put mm-hmm. in it, but they see me, you know, and they're with me all the time and mm-hmm. they see the value what and for me, you know, I I'm uh, uh, I'm a very grateful person. I'm a very courageous person. I don't suffer fools gladly, not because there's an attitude, but because I realise there's not a lot of time, and you know there is a responsibility to do our best and mm-hmm. do our best by the people who's doing their best by us. Mm-hmm. So that's important to focus. Yeah. And I um. I see a lot. I see. I see. I see so much. So I, um, I work towards it. But I'm always open to learn, James. Mm-hmm. This is one, not for idiots, obviously. But I'm <laughs> a wonderful. But yeah. you know, we know mm-hmm. if someone's yeah, not yeah. being straight with us, or yeah, they, yeah. they're not mm-hmm. proper, or they're mm-hmm. just talking but nonsense. There's plenty of them. Oh, there's so there's many so of them many. in the yeah, past yeah, life. Yeah. But I'll be honest, I don't mm-hmm. have them people in my life yeah. now because one of the things I had to learn was get rid of them mm-hmm. people, James. Because then people, they just, it's not that they're bad people. Yeah. It's just they need to go through their own pre- yeah, process. process yeah, yeah, yeah. And when they come back mm-hmm. around, it just is. Yeah. You don't have to give it mm-hmm. all, it just is. Because right? change so is, can... is difficult as well. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is the sacrifices that you need to make for change, which is cutting out every single person in your circle. It's a very lonely journey as well. Very lonely. Where, but I'm content with it because I know what I'm doing is major things. I know I'm going to. I'm travelling the world making documentaries I'm having men like yourself on telling your stories yeah, sometimes we forget work, James, how yeah, far really we've are. actually came but I know we're only just scratching the surface to what's to come and I always say it to people the best years of your life are ahead of you When you, we'll touch on this again because I know you got emotional when you got this how did you feel when you received this award? Um, did you believe it? Yeah. I, I look. Do you know what? They chased me for two days, and um, last year I was nominated for the Sun International Peace Prize. Now mm-hmm. that you know, that's because of the work where uh, uh, that it was in the category of conflict resolution and for overcoming great adversity, then refocusing my life on helping others. Mm-hmm. this was why I mean the people who it's like it's a very very prestigious it's a big deal and you know this is because I have been into prisons both men and women's prisons I, I done talks in there I done a lot of work I you know the other stuff that we've done political stuff I you know I'm on the boards of other companies that's you know bringing life saving um, innovation in the open wound industry and loads of different mm-hmm. stuff in Africa and loads of different stuff just trying to trying to make stuff better where I believe in and mm-hmm. really working hard yeah. with other really bright really mm-hmm. talented people who have the same energy who want to yeah. make a difference but that's James. the beauty of life and I believe that's where you'll back you can't buy that shit is helping other people that's the beauty where you feel there's a feeling you get helping other people that 
you can't take you can't get from a drug you can't get from a woman or gambling there's just that something feeling that doing good even I always say it when I do good if I do I do a lot of suicide work with Chrissy's house I do my homeless stuff it's me that wins because it's me that feels good even yeah. though you're trying to help others it's still me that benefits as if you've did your bit in life and life ain't easy but if we can get to ourselves in a high place in a good place where we can then start helping other people then I believe that's the beauty of life and I believe that's where you'll you can get that little sense of bliss where there's nothing can take that away from you as well because that's all you've got is your your soul and your belief that nobody can take that shit away from you. Yeah. Doing good, if you know what I mean. So, going forward for the future, where do you see yourself? I... I've got a book coming out in two months. I mean, you know, it's been everywhere in a, in a sense, this manuscripts, you know, it was with a really top, top uh, literary agent in New York. You know, we had it at the New York Expo and all that. And, you know, it, it's been brought back, but because of, you know, all the all the great um, accolades and all the different mm-hmm. stuff, all the all the traction it's been getting, um, uh, you know, it's a monkey puzzle tree. It will be, uh, you know, in a couple of months. I mean, we have a, I'm a global publishing arm there now, you know, I was saying to you, James, mm-hmm. that's ready with all the, you know, it's all set up, you know, so they're ready to expedite that and do everything now with mm-hmm. that. And that's that where... You know, we, um, uh, I mean, I've, uh, uh, you know, I've been on the BBC. I, you know, I go mm-hmm. on the BBC. Um, uh, I was on BBC World World News prime time just to, the other month mm-hmm. um, uh, on a programme there. You know, that goes out to 123 countries with 121 million viewers. Yeah. Um, you know, I was the guy who, who, um, who, talks about all the latest international stories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do some work with the BBC and um, there's other stuff which, which which I can't really talk about um, where we're developing some stuff. I mean, I've been into Channel 5, different, different places where we're developing mm-hmm. some other projects which mm-hmm. are really, really exciting. I can't, I can't talk Touch too much too about much. that. But what I will say is, is look, you know, another thing that we do is we 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 build brands and stuff like that. So we shape a lot of stuff mm. in the media. So we're very very proactive yeah. in that. But if I, I mean, that's work, and we do loads of stuff, you know, and I'm really really grateful for that. But if I can be really really honest, and I saw this back then when I started the journey, you know, this. But what I would really want to do is I'm really doing a lot more humanitarian stuff mm-hmm. and I'm really working very very closely um, with people who are really really close you know they're close to unbelievable people heads of state and all that and mm-hmm. they're right there this is not through people you know right there and they're mm-hmm. doing unbelievable stuff in the world for um, education um, equality um, you know they're um, pharmaceuticals and getting medicines out to people in mm-hmm. rural areas and all types of country like India and, you know, stuff like that. Even even innovations in tech, you know, and stuff like that. They're trying to do, you know, to make things better for people around the world. And um, so I'm doing a lot of work in this, in this area constantly. You know, I do a lot of public speaking stuff for this. And I'm very, you know, I'm very happy to be around these people. What what we're doing, um, two extremes, for instance, um, uh, 
the Lord Chancellor, um, Secretary of Justice, is going to come, you know, and be on the be on the stage with us to, to talk about the government's um, part of the two extremes, where we talk Kalma and we talk. Uh, we're in Parliament with that in April. And you know I'm due to due to go to the UN. I'm already doing a lot of stuff that pe- people don't know about, obviously mm-hmm. behind the scenes. But you know I'm due to go to the UN as well and talk and you know different stuff. This stuff is very important. Yeah. Does it scare you how far you've came? <sighs> people ask this, James, right? You know, and I, you know, I mean, I only, I only give like the honest answers, you know, and that's it. I, I'm very busy, and I see so much. Like I said to you, people say, "Wow, you know, you're doing that." And I say, "Yeah, yeah, that's cool." Like I said, I'm a very grateful person, and I make sure I'm very disciplined and very focused and very aware and very grounded. That's the good people around me are a great help with that because it's very important yeah. to keep going and yeah. focus and, you know, keep that. And your, your other half's very good with that. We spoke earlier. an amazing woman, by the way. Amazing for <sighs> what she's um, doing. And I can see that's the, the engine to your, that's the, the, your link. a wonderful person. That's your link yeah. where it works. Whatever you are doing is working. It's It's like... It just works. It's meant to be, if you know what I mean. As cheesy as it is, it's just for whatever you've got planned for the future and the stuff that yeah. we've got. It's unbelievable, and I'm honoured to call you my friend now, brother. And for what you're doing, man, I'm proud of you. I said that to you last week. I'm proud of you for what you're oh, doing and what you've you, achieved. It's James, really. It's from what you've been through and what you came through to to rubbing shoulders with the elite. It's fucking unbelievable. Does it? Does do you ever think to yourself? See, because you keep so busy. People always say to me how well I'm doing. I, I know it, but I don't feel it. There's nothing changes. I still feel the same no, as I did five fu- years. It's a funny dynamic, yeah, isn't it, yeah. isn't it, James? Yeah. People say, oh, you know, because they're outside yeah. looking in. Yeah. Look, you know, and I get that. You know, I suppose for us is we, we well, we're always being forged into into the people. Mm. Hopefully that we should be becoming, right? And this mm. is the, this is the, the, the goal, the purpose, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and that is the thing. So we're all kind of doing that, and the journey forges you. So it's not what other people think. Mm-hmm. They have all these thoughts about. Yeah. But when it's you, you know, it's it's hard work. You yeah. know, it's being around the right people. I mean, for instance, um, this is a good one because people come to me like you know sometimes in two extremes. For instance, we had a. You know, a mother come up after. You know, because we do Q and A after. We both speak mm-hmm. on our lives and stuff, and then we do Q and A after, and it's really exclusive. And they can ask anything they really mm-hmm. want. And the difficult questions are the good ones because these are where the jewels are, James. Right? Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I get mothers come up, you know, to me after. They say, well, do, you, "Do you know what? Thank you, really. My grandson, you know, my son, you know, sitting in the audience, we've really been having problems with him." Do you know, you've just really helped him with all that stuff that what you what you were saying, you know. And they say to me, "Look, you know, if you had one bit of advice, which I what would it be?" And I say, "That's easy. Look, just do the next right thing, no matter how difficult that may be, or that may feel, or that may seem. And usually it is, do it. You keep doing that, and you will arrive somewhere good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that's it. Yeah. So before we finish up." How does people treat you now from the past? Are any any old friends? Do they see you differently or do you just cut all contact? 
that's a good question, you know, and I'm glad you asked it. So we're very rounded here with yeah. everything. You know, I have, you know, I, I, my life is so different now and I, I, you know, I, hmm. but, you know, I still have friends, but they're the ones who have transformed their lives as well mm-hmm. and are doing wonderful things in, you know, in their lives. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are even people who are still kind of connected, if you want to call that, or doing stuff. They say, do you know what, Steve? Fair play to you. You know, I'm really proud of you. Yeah. Um, so they don't. Yeah, well, that's a good thing. Some it's people, a good thing. Some people usually say, oh, he's forgot himself. He's this, he's that. See, two people, see, what happens is when you tell your story or well, I tell my story, people will look. Some people will look and go, he's a prick. Other people will look and find inspiration and go, if he can yeah. do it, I can do it. There's always two sides of it, but you'll tend to see the majority of the people who understand life a bit and go wait a minute it can be done and understand the struggle you, there's beauty in everything and everybody's story there's a there's a beautiful thing and everybody's story and no matter who I interview there's there's something there for people to pick up people can relate to and people find a little nugget as you say a diamond or people find it and, and they'll kick on with it well I can say this you know this has come up and this is good you know when you'll know this mm-hmm. James with all the people we know you mm-hmm. know when you interview is you know I can say you know 100% definitely that proper people no matter what they may be doing or what industry or what you think they may be up to it's about development so the real proper people that I've always known from that life or whatever they are they're gentlemen they're a certain type of people they have a development that's the difference from proper or someone who really needs to learn a bit more and to like up the game a bit more if this is what they're thinking. This is real life we're talking here. It's not nonsense, you know, you know, and it is, you know, it's real life, you know, it's real life, but it is about, it is about development. Mm-hmm. So when we go on, James, there's always more to learn. Yeah. So we know a bit more. Mm-hmm. So when you're proper, proper people, you know, my life, you yeah. know, they're very, mm-hmm. in my experience of, you know, they're proper, even if they are, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to call them, yeah. they're still proper. Yeah. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. Last question, Stevie. For anybody that's watching, maybe just came out of prison or maybe battling drug addiction, um, what advice would you give for them? So if you just look at that camera and maybe give some inspiration or some hope to people that are struggling. Yeah, look, you know, um, I know it's a bit strange when people say, look, you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And that's the old pun. And when you're really in the shit, you know, and it's really against you, that don't help you, does it? Let's be honest. But the truth of it is that we can be anything we want to be. But it is about doing, you know. It's not about talking. It's about doing. And it's about, you know, trying to be the best that you can be. And that's always stretching yourself so it's being around the right people, and you know the you know it's always about you, you know pointing figures and all this stuff is never the answer. Mm-hmm. It's about giving, you know, rather than taking, and trying trying something different, you know, and not letting your not letting your past be the thing that the obstacle that you can't you can't get over anything is really is really possible you must just really put the work into it be around the right people and keep being consistent perfect brother stevie listen it's been an absolute honor brother it's been a pleasure look forward to the book look forward to the film keep doing what you're doing and can't wait to see more thanks james You can also watch my podcast on my YouTube channel. The link is in the bio if you'd like to subscribe. 
You can follow me on my social media platforms to see who my next guest is. Follow me on Facebook at James English 11, Twitter, James English 0, Instagram, James English 2. You can also download these podcasts on iTunes or Spotify. Sports Social Podcast Network.